Thank you so much. Thanks to all of our witnesses for your testimony today. We will now uh, move to a five-minute round of questions from members of the committee, and I defer to Senator Tester from Montana to begin. Well, I want to thank the chair, and I also want to thank all the folks who testified here today. I appreciate it very much. Uh, you know, it's always been very, very difficult um, to get Nahazda passed, and it's something that's very, very important, and we need to get it funded at a level that will work. I have um, I agree with you, Ms. Fish. Uh, people don't understand uh, the housing challenges in Indian country. Um, many folks back here don't understand the trust responsibilities we have, the Native Americans. They are special to Native Americans. And I, and I do think that the housing uh, goes hand in hand with those responsibilities. I've also said that if we really want to address any issue, I don't care if it's schools, uh, law enforcement, housing, the list is quite long, especially for those large land-based tribes, then we need to figure out ways to empower tribes to do that and support them in their efforts. One of the ways it was supposed to do that is through the HUD's training and technical assistance program, um, ensuring that tribes are knowledgeable and able to make housing decisions for their communities. It's not easy work. I have heard from tribes in Montana who have had difficulty in accessing the technical assistance system as it is currently implemented by the Housing and Urban Development. So this question is for you, Ms. Fish, and you can add in Mr. Goggles, Ms. Upton, uh, Ms. Moreland, if you'd like. But NAIC, NAIHC uh, runs a technical assistant training program for housing, for tribal housing entities. From your perspective, what needs to be done to improve training and technical assistance to tribes that are utilizing those HUD dollars to really make a difference getting housing in Indian country? One of the ways, thank you, Senator Tester. One of the ways that we have explored um, developing a uh, an efficacious technical assistance delivery system is to return to the way that our technical assistance funding was passed down to the National American Indian Housing Council. Um, we currently work off of a cooperative agreement. Uh, the process is for uh, receiving technical assistance assignments Invoicing for that technical assistance is very burdensome. The administrative process alone going working through this mechanism, uh, I have two staff members that predominantly do this work, working in the DRGR, working with the different operational systems that HUD has in place, working with their Office of Procurement, uh, OPM, is, is very difficult, um, getting Contracts passed that um, support the technical assistance delivery is very difficult working through that mechanism. And so we've explored the option to return to we, the old way, which was where we received a grant and we were able to receive the technical assistance requests directly and then deliver the technical assistance. In the same stroke or in the same step, we're also, allow, we're also able to develop best practices, case studies, and do our own research um, in a very streamlined way. Um, there you go. Good. Anybody else like comment, Mr. Goggles? Senator Tester, thank you. Um, T and TA at the National American Housing Level works 
I can attest to that. I have 13 years of uh, unmodified opinions uh, on my financial compliance audits. Okay. So we are good stewards of uh, the federal assistance and Uncle Sam's dollar. Uh, it, it impacts uh, how we deliver services to our clientele. So I know um, the TNTA works. Uh, when we had it before at NEHC, um, we had folks coming to our reservation uh, without um, uh, too much of a uh, bureaucratic system in place. Now, now more it's more um, having a couple of folks uh, that you have to run a, run through, jump through some hoops for. But getting that service to us, um, uh, getting out to the grantees helps them understand like federal regulation, like two CFR, uh, understanding um, Native American Housing Job Determination Act, understanding the eligible activities that you can participate in, um, and and the kinds of uh, activities under the Indian Community Development Block Grant Program. Okay. Really quickly, and it's for you, Mr. Upton. You listed a half a dozen things that we could do in Congress. Could you give me your number one issue of those six? Of the six would be to increase appropriations for the NACA program. It was stagnant from 2014 to roughly 2020 at 16 million. There's 72 native CDFIs, and it's up to approximately 23 million now. 50 million is what we need, to, and that would make a huge impact, especially if we're going to get make um, native CDFIs 184 lenders. We need capital. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Senator Tester. Senator Lummis. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Uh, Mr. Goggles, you mentioned it took six years to work through and jump through all the hoops necessary to get your now September 2023 project to this point. Could you describe some of those hoops and what, how can we help cut that down, the amount of time? Uh, Vice Chair Lemus, one of the areas has been um, the working relationship with the Bureau of Indian Affairs Realty Department. It took me approximately two years to master lease the uh, subdivision meets and bounds of the survey that we did, uh, plus two years of delay from the pandemic. So it took me about four years to obtain uh, the leasing uh, authority through the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Uh, currently, they are um, they are understaffed. Yeah. Uh, there's only two people in the realty division at the Wind River Agency. So that's 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 uh, that's one of the um, challenges is getting the land. The other challenge is uh, we when we re when we develop a project, infrastructure is always a um, one third of our development costs. So at the cheap LACO project, 9.1 million total. Two million is for infrastructure. And uh, putting that infrastructure according to federal regulation, uh, according to ONAP HUD regulations under the Indian Housing Block Grant, under the Indian Community Development Block Grant, and the use of uh, community facilities from USDA, each one has its own set of regulations. Yeah, that's so embarrassing. So, so navigating these regulatory requirements uh, requires experience, it requires training, like we were talking about TNTA. Uh, everybody, everybody's shop does their own thing. The third is environmental uh, reviews. Are those uh, houses to, on well and septic, or we're we're uh, we're developing this project with uh, domestic water, domestic uh, wastewater and uh, drainage. 
uh, individual home sites use the uh, septic system and uh, cisterns uh, when they're developing a unit out in the country, and there's two and a half acres generally. Uh, what, I've, what I've leased for a subdivision is about 20 acres. For 20 homes, uh, the cost is uh, part of that. For the 10 units that I'm building that are three bedroom, $252,000 a piece. For the uh, 10 four bedrooms, $267,000 a piece. These are manufactured housing units. Jeez. Yep. Um, and then it was earlier mentioned numbers like 600,000. Um, I can't remember who said that. Was that, that that's in Alaska. Oh, in Alaska. In, in, in Alaska, uh, just talking to my colleagues in that area, there are two seasons up there. That's the, uh, the season that uh, you play basketball and the other is for uh, getting your materials up there in a timely manner so you can construct a house. Yeah. So very, two very different uh, methods of building, you know, in the, with the Northern Plains, Great Plains of our area versus Alaska. They're, they're very, very different. In the can, southwest, you'd find very different approaches as well. Can you see ways that we could fold the programs you mentioned into one and streamline it? Under the Indian Community Development Block Grant Program, we could make that program more flexible, that it could fund infrastructure. One of the areas that I'm working on is uh, redevelopment of streets. They haven't been repaired or rebuilt since the time they were first put in by HUD. And now that I've taken over... Um, I'm having difficulties just repairing streets. This last winter, uh, we were uh, using uh, our monies to provide snow removal services because yeah. of a extremely harsh winter. Extremely harsh. Extremely harsh winter. Yeah. So under the Indian Community Development Block Grant, making that program more flexible. Uh, under the Indian Housing Block Grant uh, as well, you know, we can use these funds to develop uh, infrastructure uh, and, and fund um, development at the same time. What if you find a house that uh, needs plumbing and electrical upgrades uh, and heating upgrades? Are, are there programs that are easily accessible to take care of those needs? Senator, Senator uh, Lamas, under our Indian Housing Block Grant, we repair and rehab and modernize housing. Some of the housing I stock, stock I have now is uh, about 40 years old. So when you, when you get into that house, you're going to repair electrical. Yeah. Because back 40 years ago, we didn't have the electrical devices we have now. And, and the houses need two bathrooms, not just one. Yeah. Uh, so you're looking at um, the, the, the modernization of houses so they have at least two bathrooms. In, in the case of the pandemic, you could, uh, you could quarantine a family in, in that type of house with two bathrooms. Yeah, good point. Yep. Thank you, Mr. Goggles. Appreciate it. Senator Lemus, if you have additional questions you'd like to ask so you don't break up your flow, okay, please great. go right ahead. Thank you. Um, uh, Ms. Fish, uh, what reforms do you think are necessary to improve NAHIC? The National, I just want to clarify, the National American Indian Housing Council? No, I guess I have the wrong acronym. Uh, the, what is it? Nahasda? Nahasda. I'm sorry, I get the acronyms mixed up. <laughs> we, sim we simply need to get this legislation passed. That is the first grand step, is simply passing the legislation. Okay. Um, Mr. Upton, um, 
how are Native community development financial institutions providing support to prospective Native homeowners? You know, the, um, first of all, I think they're being innovative with the products that they design. And also, they're really focusing efforts in collaborative ways, um, statewide, regionally, by co uh, developing collaborations of Native CDFIs. They, um, they provide uh, support um, when it comes to Native home ownership. That's where Native CDFIs come into play. And can the, but do they work on tribal Trust lands, or can it only work on fee land? No, it, the most successful, I was just up in South Dakota last week, and this was interesting, of the 86 related homes, to, loans that were closed last year, totaled $7 million in South Dakota, CDFIs made up 85% of the lending. Mm -hmm. And those were um, acquisitions, 39 homes, nine homes were uh, newly constructed, and seven were interim construction, and then 24 rehabs. But native CDFIs made up the lending portion of that. 85% of it came Thank from you. native CDFIs. Thank you. And then a quick question for um, uh, Ms. Moreland. Um, do you find there is data available to accurately determine housing needs on and off the reservation? Um, I believe that um, there is a start, at least in Minnesota, for collecting the data. Uh, Minnesota has um, worked with the Wilder Research and they do a reservation specific um, survey. And this is the year that we're doing it. We're gonna be doing it um, towards the end of this year. And we will be able to collect that data. Um, we've been working with Wilder since about 2006. And so we do have some data that is available. Um, one of the um, innovative things with the data that we collect with Wilder is uh, Wilder has respected tribal sovereignty and the data that is collected is owned by each tribe and the tribe will decide um, how they would like to disperse that information and use that information. So it's not, um, data that's being collected um, by non-natives used in a non-native way. The tribes own their, um, their, their data. data. Okay, thank you. Um, and this question is for anyone who wishes to weigh in. Are there special programs for Native American veterans uh, to obtain housing and who administers those and how are they working? Ms. Thank Fish. you for the question, Senator, Senator Lemus. Um, yes, there are programs that allow access to housing for Native American veterans. Uh, one bill that we that is out there right now that was introduced by Senator, or excuse me, Congressman Tom Cole is the Tribal HUD VASH, mm -hmm. uh, which is a result of a demonstration program allowing uh, vouchers to be used um, for the for the subsidization of housing for veterans, and it has worked very well. And we're looking at um, in the future being able to transition those into home ownership as well. Um, another program that allows uh, for veterans to for home ownership and purchase is run out of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Veterans Affairs, okay. Um, 
could I comment on that one? How, yes, please, and okay. then I'll yield back. Okay. The um, the other uh, bill that I think that really needs the support is the Native American Direct Loan Improvement Act, which um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there would be, um, uh, it's the Senate Bill 185 as part of the five veteran bills that went to the floor on April 26th of 23 and unfortunately failed. But it would create $5 million of relending program that would allow Native CDFIs who intimately understand Native communities and the mortgage lending process on tribal trust properties to obtain a loan through the Native American Direct Loan Program at 1% interest um, and allow veterans to use the program to refinance non-VA mortgages so that Native veterans have the same opportunity as non-Native veterans to use their VA benefits to refinance existing mortgage loans. So that one would be extremely important to pass. Thank you, witnesses. Thank you very much. We are uh, now going to turn to Senator Cortez Masto from Nevada, for, who is asking her questions remotely. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you to the ring, ranking member as well. Uh, it's been a great discussion, and I couldn't agree more with uh, my colleagues in the, in the need to pass NAHASDA and so many other essential housing um, bills that we can to support tribal housing. Let me ask a, quish, a question that hasn't uh, been asked yet. Uh, around manufactured homes, because I know um, there's a lot of support in um, in Nevada and really across the country. What I see a, a third of new homes on tribal lands are manufactured homes. And Miss Fish, maybe let me ask you this question: One, uh, why is there the popularity of tribal homes? Are there financing issues associated um, with these tribal homes? And um, and are there programs, including CDFI funds, that help home buyers finance, uh, uh, excuse me, a manufactured home? Uh, so maybe, Ms. Fish, let me start with you. I, I want to respond and give you an example um, of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe uh, with the manufacturing of homes. Um, so in the 60s, there was a tribal housing program that created transitional housing for the Rosebud Sioux Tribe tribal citizens. Uh, they, were pre they were living in uh, downtrodden circumstances and living in shacks and tents. And so they were transitioned into this temporary housing. Then in the late 60s, you had something called Sioux for 100, which built 400 two-bedroom houses that now have three to four families living in them. In the 70s and 80s, there were approximately 1,200 or 11, uh, 1,160 homes created. And those are that's the uh, stock of housing that the Rosebud Sioux Tribe now uses in their formulated Indian housing block grant. They have since purchased a to your point, uh, manufacturing a home, uh, a housing plant. They purchased that 12 years ago and now plan to use ARPA funds to, sub to supplement the manufacturing of 100 new homes in the next two years. In addition to that, they used ARPA funds to furnish um, kitchens and uh, develop innovative kitchen designs that folks would be able to have shared spaces um, that would accommodate eating at a table, so on and so forth. I do not know um, the, the details around the CDFI network and their support of manufactured homes, but I do know that they so, are- So these are two, right? Single family construction of homes, is that right? For, yes. For, yes. Okay. Yeah, I would be curious to, to 
because I know this is an option that that should be considered and but I also understand and I'm grateful that the ARPA funds and other appropriations that we have uh, identified have helped. But I am curious how um, the financing comes together if CDFI can be a part of it. Uh, and then let me just put on your your radar. Um, there's a new HUD program called Preservation and Reinvestment Initiative for Community Enhancement Grant Program. It's called PRICE. It was included in the appropriations bill and it, it provided 225 million in grants to assist manufactured home communities already existing not to repair their sewer and water, uh, to fix the roads, to support, support flood mitigation. I'm curious if the tribes have taken advantage of those funds or even aware of those funds that are eligible and they're only there for a short period of time. So uh, those are two questions. Let me throw those out there and, and um, maybe Mr. Upton, CDFI, is there an option for that financing to come to help manufactured homes? You know, again, the, the challenge with native CDFIs is it's over um, underfunded for the last uh, 10 to 15 years, especially for the appropriations under the NACA program. Uh, currently, again, it's about 23 to 24 million, and we've asked the appropriations to increase to 50 million. And by being able to leverage private dollars with that, you know, that would make a significant impact. And um, manufactured housing is not, um, it, it's a product that native CDFIs would uh, finance, but nine times out of 10, before I came to, on this trip, I reached out to probably 20 to 30 native CDFIs, and the number one challenge was the lack of capital. We don't have the capital. And I know in the HUD, the Section 184, it was well, they're wanting to make uh, CDFIs lenders. Well, we can't be lenders without the appropriate capital. You know, you're inviting us to uh, a game that uh, we can't play. So, and in, in, have the federal home loan bank system in, in your area, are they providing advances or support for housing, particularly in tribal community? I'm curious. You know, in our particular area, we, we're multi-state, so, you know, I'm not an expert on what, what they provide, but I do know that it's very limited when it comes to native CDFIs. You know, they're... Well, yeah, and that, that's the problem. And listen, we see, and I know my time is running out, and I appreciate it, Madam Chair, Woman, but we, we've seen the benefits through the CARES Act, through American Rescue Plan, through ARPA, where we actually carve out, we focus on set-asides for our tribal communities, and I think it is so important we continue to do so. But we also talk to those other funding opportunities, whether it's the home, uh, home loan banks, federal home loan banks, that their mission is to be in our communities, looking at affordable housing and housing in general, that they also are focusing on our tribal communities. And then the only other final question I have is, um, to the extent that you're not aware that of that new HUD program, the price program that helps um, existing uh, manufactured homes, I I'd hope you take advantage uh, of those opportunities as well. So thank you, I'm gonna stop there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Senator Cortez Masto. We have uh, Senator Cinema, who is also joining us remotely. Senator Cinema. Well, thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you to our witnesses for being here today. 22 federally recognized tribes call Arizona home, and I'm proud to work with them closely to be a voice and advocate for Indian country. It's important to me that tribes receive the respect, recognition, and resources owed to them by the federal government. We have a housing shortage throughout Arizona, but the issues that face tribal communities in Arizona are unique, complex, and deserve additional attention and focus. So Ms. Fish, thank you for being here. I've heard from native housing authorities in Arizona about the growing problem of fentanyl and methamphetamine use in their communities, which is a trend we're also seeing in non-native communities. 
My understanding is that the cost of remediating housing units where drug use has occurred is quite expensive, particularly for smaller tribes. Is this a problem in other parts of the country? And more generally, what can you share with the subcommittee today on this topic? Thank you for the question, Senator. Uh, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, this is a very common problem in Indian country or in tribal communities. And in fact, we spend most of our Indian housing block grant funds in reme re remediating, um, maintaining, and re rehabbing homes than we do in any type of development or new construction of homes. Um, yes. Well, thank you. You know, I've also heard that this is a growing problem and that tribes are using their Indian housing block grant allocations to pay for remediation costs. One tribe in Arizona told me that they're spending around a million dollars per year on remediation activities associated with meth and fentanyl. Now, this worries me for many reasons, but especially because it means that these dollars aren't used towards expanding affordable housing. So, Ms. Fish, is this scenario I just described in Arizona an outlier or is this happening all over? This is happening all over. Hmm. Thank you. I'm working to provide some more attention and funding on this issue to help tribal housing authorities address remediation issues and expand access to affordable housing in Indian country. Switching gears now, I want to touch on the Hearth Act and Indian homeownership briefly. As you all know, the Hearth Act allows for leasing of tribal trust lands in accordance with tribal law without requiring the Interior Department to approve each transaction. I'd like to hear briefly from each of our witnesses today on, more, on why more tribes haven't utilized this law. And are there barriers that we should be aware of that we can assist with? I'm also gonna submit this question for the record so that each of you have more opportunity to provide expansive responses. So if you would, in the time that we have together, be somewhat brief. Senator, this is uh, Patrick Goggles, State of Wyoming. Uh, John Barrasso uh, sponsored that legislation, uh, consulted myself on the use of it. Uh, well, on the Wonder River Indian Indian Reservation, we have two tribes, the Northern Arapaho and the Eastern Shoshone, and, and getting the two tribes to agree on a set of regulations that govern each tribe uh, commonly uh, has been difficult to uh, come by. Uh, the Hearth Act uh, allows tribes, or tribe in uh, some cases where there's a single tribe on the reservation, to promulgate regulations under the Hearth Act for leasing. They still have to have the Bureau of Indian Affairs' approval to implement those Harvard regulations in terms of leasing of uh, individual home sites or subdivisions in their area, which includes um, rights-of-ways, easements, uh, road easements, and utility rights-of-ways. In my case, I use a uh, utility uh, license agreement with the Northern Arapaho tribe um, in place of the Heart Act right now to get that job done and streamline that process. Senator, um, I, I would ag agree that um, there are different, I always refer to what we do on a daily basis as a big jigsaw puzzle. Each community has you know, their own set of um, pieces. And just like you mentioned there, um, not utilizing the hearth program and utilizing another program that fits. That's really what we do on a daily basis is we, we look for what fits for our community and what, uh, what is gonna be streamlined and probably the quickest and the fastest and that what we're most comfortable with. In native CDFIs, whether it comes to funding, you know, not every native CDFI probably can use the 502, but they might be able to use other programs. So we're constantly looking for different pieces 
to make it work in our communities. Each community is a little bit different. Last week I spent a week up in South Dakota with the South Dakota Native Home Ownership Coalition. There were about eight native CDFIs in the room and they introduced the new Freddie um, Mac program and only maybe two of them said it could work for them. But I said, but that's a positive thing because that piece that fits your puzzle. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, the short answer is that it's difficult and very challenging for tribes to, so the tribes work with the BIA's uh, realty office uh, to be able to exercise the Hearth Act to get, and that realty office is challenged with getting tribes ready to take over leasing. And they need the local capacity to take over. So really it is a capacity issue within tribes themselves and also within the BIA. So that component of the process is so overwhelming that tribes are discouraged from being able to exercise it. Thank you, Senator Sinema. Thank you, Chairwoman. Thank you very much. Um, so let's see, I have a couple of questions I'd like to uh, follow up on. Um, Mr. Upton, let me start with you. You, in your testimony, you referred to these proposed rule changes at the Department of Treasury. You and I have spoken about this before, I think, when I came to visit the Native CDFI Coalition. Could you just identify what, um, a little with a little bit more specificity, what you see as some of the challenges, or, or let me put it this way, how those proposed rules would negatively affect um, how Native CDFIs um, operate? The um, probably, you know, the top of mind for me would be when it comes to the um, prohibiting balloon payments, doing an amortization for maybe 30 years and ballooning it after 10 to 15 years. I mean, that's a daily practice in the banking industry. And then also prohibiting interest only loans. We deal with so many contractors and that's how they operate. And we, we, we don't let our loans go evergreen like on our, our um, interest only loans. We have, they're very um, skilled contractors that we use. They do a job, they draw down on their line of credit, and when the job's over, they pay it off and they roll on to the next job. And that would really um, prohibit a lot of native CDFIs by being creative and finding uh, new products to get native um, homeowners. And, and one, one point, I just want to draw, we, we had a loan back in 2013 that we did. Uh, when we did a balloon payment, 30 years, 15 year um, balloon on it, and um, bought it for 90,000. And she wouldn't have been able to get into that loan. She couldn't have afforded a 15 year mortgage, but we were able to go 30. And just recently sold it for, bought it for 90, sold it for about 200. Mm -hmm. So that was a significant increase. Yeah. You use the analogy of a puzzle and how um, it's constantly trying to figure out how to put these puzzles together. And I think one of the things we've learned is that native CDFIs are particularly skilled at understanding how to put those pieces of the puzzle together uh, for um, uh, for native people on tribal land. And so I think um, I'll continue to lift up these concerns with the treasury um, rules. I think that they're important Thank um, to keep in mind. Um, Ms. Moorhead, you in your um, testimony identified um, five, I think, or so um, important issues for us to consider, and you were only you, you focused on one of them. I want to focus in on another of them, which has to do with uh, the issue of um, kind of how con how continuum of care works um, for um, um, 
how it, how it works. You, you came to my office, uh, I think uh, we, we had a discussion about this a couple of years ago, and we talked about how tribes weren't eligible to receive funding to respond to homelessness under the Continuum of Care program. And so we worked together with Senator Murkowski to pass the Tribal Access to Homeless Assistance Act. It's a mouthful, but it essentially allowed tribes to become um, able to participate in this. But I think you and I both know there's been some issues with implementation here. Um, could you just talk a bit about why it was important to make this change to allow tribes to participate in continuum of care and what we need to do so that this is actually working well for tribes? Um, thank you for the question. Um, one of the issues that we are um, finding um, that is a struggle to implement is the prorata, mm -hmm. um, how they decide how how much funding you get. Um, tribes um, typically are checkerboard, at least they are here in Minnesota, right. which means that their land is not touching each other. And so the formula kind of gets messed up and <laughs> we would not receive very much funding, enough funding to actually have a project. Um, and so um, we can apply through our continuum of care, but that's not something that we want to do. We want to be able to receive those that funding um, directly. Um, with the um, formula, um, we would like for the formula to um, be distributed kind of like they are in the territories. Mm -hmm. um, rarely when uh, federal dollars um, go to like state agencies or um, it rarely trickles down to Indian communities um, when it comes through the state government. And so by providing the tribes um, greater access to the money by receiving it directly that will help projects that can be meaningful and it can help address the root cause to homelessness. Thank you. That's um, one, okay. And I have one, one other well, thing. It goes um, to the thing um, about the um, HUD's definition mm -hmm. um, of homelessness um, in Minnesota we have really cold winters and families like um, the other partners have said um, have a lot of overcrowding in our houses um, and then by having the overcrowding then that makes the houses um, to become substandard um, and um, let me gather my thoughts here um, and so if the definition was changed, um, it would allow access to help the individuals. When a person is homeless and then they go for the winter and they stay with a relative just for a short period of time, then they become unhomeless because they're housed, even though technically they're really still homeless, they're just staying somewhere so they can stay alive. And so it would be um, something to consider uh, changing um, that definition of what homelessness is uh, for HUD. Uh, some of the times here in Minnesota, I don't know if um, people are familiar about fish shacks or fish houses, 
Um, <laughs> it's a tiny little house and it sits on the lake. Usually there's like a propane heater or maybe a wood stove and like a bed and a hole in the floor so that you can fish. Mm -hmm. And quite frequently we have people who are living in these very small fish houses mm -hmm. um, because they don't have anywhere else to go. And if they're living in a fish house, then that makes them housed. And so uh, then they don't fit in the definition of being homeless. Thank you, that's, that's very helpful. I think Senator Lummis and I are both familiar with fish houses. Yes. So <laughs> um, I am um, just, uh, I, I'm past my time, but I'm gonna ask one last question then unless Senator Lummis has other questions, I'll be ready to um, um, close this um, up. But um, I wanna just ask a question of Mr. Goggles. Everybody, all of our members of the panel have talked about how important it is to reauthorize Nahasda, um, which I certainly agree with. I was wondering, Mr. Goggles, if you could give us just one or two very specific examples about how a reauthorized Nahasda would help you when it's not reauthorized, what, how that hinders you in your work. Thank you, Senator, for the question. Uh, first of all, uh, in the past, we have lived off a continuing resolution. Right. Uh, under a continuing resolution, you're, you're authorized or you're allocated funds that are only good for that year. So you don't know what you're going to get the following fiscal year. Right. So in so terms you can't of plan, in terms of planning, yes, yeah. you, uh, just like any other municipality in in the country, you if you have a known stream of revenue coming your way, you can plan for those projects, but you can also plan, you know, to fund your um, your uh, employees as well. Um, them not knowing if they're going to get a raise or not, uh, mm -hmm. and me not being able to give it, you know makes me the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So that would be one instance of uh, the reauthorization of Nahasda. The other is that what we're asking for in the reauthorization is Section 8, the Housing Choice Voucher. Uh, the, under the Housing Choice Voucher, most of America receives, receives home assistance through the Housing Choice Voucher. We in Indian country are, are not able to use Section 8 um, because of the acute shortage on our reservation we would be able to use Section 8 in uh, the local municipalities to help uh, ease the overcrowding or the lack of acute lack of housing in our areas. That would be very helpful to us. Those are two short examples, Senator. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, I want to thank all of our witnesses today for being here and for providing excellent testimony. Um, before we adjourn, I'd like to um, enter into the record a report on Native homelessness in Minnesota and a report on homelessness mortality. Is there any objection to that? Hearing none, we'll, um, that is so ordered. For senators who wish to submit questions for the record, those questions are due one week from today, which will be Tuesday, June 20th. For our witnesses, you will have 45 days to respond to any questions for the record. Thank you again for taking the time to participate in this hearing today. Um, thank you to Senator Lummis. And with that, this hearing is adjourned. <laughs>